Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. We're starting a series called You Belong Here. And today's message is love recognizes, honors, and sacrifices for people. I want to talk to you about the love of God and God's love working through us, giving people that ability to know that they belong. You know, there's something that happens when someone feels like they belong. When they don't come into a church or they don't come into a group of people and feel like they're on the outside looking in. And that's often the case in churches especially for new people. New people walk through a door and they either experience an an immediate welcoming, an opening of arms, an opening of hearts, and a sense of, you belong here, we're glad you're here, we're blessed you're here, you're an answer to prayer, or they walk in the door and they recognize, ooh, these people like each other, but they don't want us here. I remember... Three years ago, Peggy and I went on a sabbatical for two and a half months during the summer, and we visited nine or ten churches during that time. And and we went to these churches specifically with the idea, number one, we didn't want to be critics. Our goal wasn't to go into churches and critique them, but our goal was to learn, to be students, and to just kind of see what the experience was like. To kind of, you know, see how they do things, learn, see what they do well and how we could maybe draw some truths from that. And also to recognize what it's like for a new person walking into a church, what that experience is. And even though a lot of people think I'm a pretty outgoing person, and, and I am, um, I, it was awkward for me. It was awkward. Every time we pulled up into a parking lot, I remember Peggy and I would kind of go through this psych ourselves up process. And if you're new here today, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're pulling up, you know, and you're like, oh, man, you know, am I going to know anybody? Is it going to be weird? You know, are they going to either be like, you know, attacking you at the door, right? Or are they just going to act like we're not even there? And we walked into a church. I'll never forget it. We were down on the southern coast of Oregon, and we walked into a church and walked through the door, and nobody greeted us. Walked through the entire foyer, and nobody greeted us walked through the doors into the auditorium, and nobody greeted us. Went over and found our seat and had one or two people turn to us, kind of nod their heads, and then go right back to their, their conversation. And I remember as we experienced that, we're just kind of, you know, elbowing each other. We, we sat down, we went through the service, and we noticed that these people were close. They were close, man. They were They were family, but they didn't want their family to grow. They didn't want their family to expand. They let us know without ever saying a word, unfortunately, that uh, we like it this way. We like being small. We like being a small, aging church 
stuck in the 80s and 90s, not going anywhere into the future. Thank you very much. They were kind of lost in the old charismatic renewal. They were lost in the old way. Some of you that kind of came up in our church from the beginning, it kind of like what our church was like in the late 80s and 90s. Some of the stuff that some of you that are still stuck in that time period, you want it to be like it used to be. And it's never going to be like that again. And praise the Lord. And, you know, I, I felt like I was back to the future, right? And I, we, we went into this church, and we're walking through, and we're experiencing this. We go through the whole sermon. We get done, and we stand up, and we're, we're like, hoping somebody's going to acknowledge us. And they didn't. And we walked right out the door and sat in our car. We sat down, got ready to start the car. I turned to Peggy. She turned to me. And we both said, that was weird. And then we went to another church on the northern Oregon coast. And uh, that was a different experience. It was like such a strange contrast. We walk in this door and immediately people are really friendly. They have a connection booth. Somebody gave us a card to get a free coffee. And when we talked to that person, they kind of sought us out, met us, welcomed us. We went into the sanctuary. People were friendly all the way through the door, you know, got a bulletin. People are nodding and being friendly. And not just because it was their job, but because they were a genuinely friendly, warm church. And then after we had some time with them and we communicated with them, we, you know, we went through the worship. Worship was really good. The pastor had a spot-on message. The whole experience was very positive. We felt God was there. We were really aware of His presence. We walked out. We, we, we talked to some people a little bit more. And just a few days later, I got, or maybe within a day, I got an email from the church saying, it was so good to have you with us. Welcome. We're so grateful you came. And, uh, and so I contacted them, and I said, I feel like the Lord gave me a word for your pastor. So the pastor called me, and I, I, I spoke over the phone, and he said it was right on, and it was really, and we made a connection, and, and the Lord really did something. And I, I, I went through that summer seeing over and over again the contrast, and I, I realized that some churches say to people, you don't belong here. You're not welcome here. We don't want you. We like it just the way it is. And other churches say, come on in. There's room here for you. Our hearts are open. You belong here. We want you to be a part of who we are. And I, I hope we are the second church. And I don't just mean in initial impressions or first or second week. I mean even beyond that in inviting people into our lives and welcoming them into our homes and eating a meal with them. And Now, I know some people don't want to do that. Some people go to churches, maybe you're here today, and you go to church to hide. I'm coming after you. No, that's, that's true. Some people go to churches to hide. They're hurting. They, they don't want to be noticed. They just want to kind of slip into a certain place you know, just a little bit after worship has started when it's dark and nobody can talk to them and be a part of worship. And then as the pastor's saying, in Jesus' name, amen, they're kind of getting out of their seat and heading out the door. They, they, they want to do that. And that's okay for a season. Sometimes people need to go through that time of restoration. But I want to tell you, if that's you and you've been here for a while, I'm looking for you. <laughs> We're coming after you. Because we care about you. You need people in your life. Isolation is a disease within our society. It's a sickness that is infecting so many people. And I, I dare say a lot of the problem we have with depression in the U.S. is directly connected to isolation and a lack of community. So may the Lord heal that, and may we be a church that heals that. 
I don't want people depressed. I've been depressed. It sucks. Can I just say that? It's terrible. So somebody just got mad because I said it sucks in church, but it's okay. You'll get over it. Now, this is not the kind of church we want to be, and this is not what we want to do in helping people belong. I, I love this little story. It's an old joke. A letter to a neighbor reads, Dear Frank, we've been neighbors for six tumultuous years. When you borrowed my tiller, you returned it in pieces. When I was sick, you blasted rap music upstairs. And when your dog went to the bathroom all over my lawn, you laughed. I could go on and on, but I'm certainly not one to hold grudges. So I'm just writing this letter to tell you that your house is on fire. (laughs) Cordially, Bob. That's not the way we want to be with people, right? So as I get into my message, my first point today, if you're taking notes, is that the mission of every Christian and every church is simple, love. Amen? Love. I mean, we know that love is the essence of the gospel. If you take the law and the prophets, if you take all the Old Testament books, all of the the books of Moses and all the historical books and the prophetic books, and you put them all together, the thing that you see when it all is boiled down and you get to the essence of what the gospel is and what the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches a simple message. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the laws, all the commandments, everything contained within the Scripture is connected to the idea of God first and foremost loving us and pursuing us and out of that us responding to Him in love and then out of that vertical love, we've been loved, therefore we love and now we love horizontally. We love our neighbor. But Jesus took it further. We see throughout the New Testament, He said, you not only love your neighbor as you love yourself, but you love your enemy. And that's a real challenge. I don't know if you've ever tried it. Most people don't try it, right? Most people, they figure that's my enemy and we have a line. They're not my friend. They're my enemy. And the only thing you can do with enemies is hate them. But if you're going to be a believer, if you're going to be a Jesus follower and you're going to try to become like Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit, you're going to love your enemy, right? You're going to have to figure that one out. You're going to have to pray through it and act through it. But it's just the reality, Your enemy, in any way, shape, or form in your life, sometimes your enemy lives in the same household as you. Sometimes your enemy is your spouse, or that teenager, or that parent, or that child in the terrible twos, or threes, or fours, right? Sometimes that's the reality. That's the way you feel. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, I will never learn how to love my neighbor outside my front door until I learn how to love the neighbor within my front door. Right? But we have to love our enemy. We have to work through it. We can't just get out of it, right? That's part of what we're called to do. I love this quote. I've shared it probably 20 times in messages. Mother Teresa said this, if we don't accept Jesus in one another, we will not be able to give him to others. If we don't accept Jesus in one another, we will not be able to give him to others. It's really easy to say, I love God. It's really easy to say, I care about the world until the rubber meets the road And you have to do it here first and foremost, right? I mean, there's some people in this room right now that you might not like. There's some people that you purposely avoid sitting next to. There's some people that just annoy the heck out of you every time they open their mouth. You just hear, right? Right? And did you know that God put those people 
in this room and in this church family to annoy you <laughs> so you would learn what it means to love. Because loving ain't just loving people that are like you and treat you the way you like to be treated and act the way towards you you, wanna, you want them to act. Loving, true loving, like Jesus loved, is loving your enemies. And did you know we were called enemies? We were considered to be at war with God before we were born of God, before we were saved. So think about that. We were at war with God. We're rebels against His cause. And Jesus came and died in our place and took our shame and our punishment and our sin upon Himself so we could be reconciled. Amen? So you know those commandments. I'm going to move on to my second point, and this is where I'm going to hang out. The power of belonging through God's love. And I want to take you to a story that you're very familiar with from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I especially want to look at verses 44 through 48. You'll know the story. Let's go right into it. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. The he here, the him, is Jesus. So one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, take note of that, who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Somebody just say, wow. I don't know what happens to you when you read a story like this. Some of you are probably like, that's weird. That's weird. I know some of you think that way. That's weird. And it's true. Culturally, I don't know. I have never seen anybody do anything like this in our country. We're just, it ain't cool. You don't go weeping on somebody's feet. Wiping it with your hair. That's just weird. Come on, let's be honest. I, I'm, I'm just, come on, don't look at me like that. So I heard somebody say years ago, don't look at me in that tone of voice. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon's the Pharisee. And he answered, say it, teacher. And Jesus told a story. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. The denarii is about a day's wages for a common laborer. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he is who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this 
who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Yeah, it is. That's powerful. Now, here's some important background information because I think that we have to understand the text and the context, right? I shared that last week. And understanding some cultural things is really important if we're going to grasp what's really going on in this text. But the first thing is Jesus is at a Pharisee's home and he's reclining a table. Now, in Jesus' time, the Pharisees were a very strict group of Judaism, within Judaism. And they were known for the fastidious way in which they kept the law of Moses and interpreted the Bible. They were the strictest group among all of the groups within Judaism. They were especially known for their observance of the outward cleansing rituals. They had a ritual to cleanse everything. If you sat down with them and ate, everything got cleansed. Right? And your, your hands, your feet, but all of the dishes. and er- There were processes for cleansing. And cleansing represented ritual purity. So to them, the only way you were presentable to God is if everything you were doing and touching and were a part of was being continually cleansed. Okay? Many times, they would have meals that they would open up to certain members of the public who could come and ask them religious questions. So they would host a meal in their home. People could come and ask religious questions. During that time, when people ate a meal, they would recline with their feet behind them slightly to the side. So they'd kind of you know, sit on their backside with their legs over to one side, kind of leaning on an arm and going back and forth. There'd be some pillows if the person had, was a person of wealth or means. And that was how people ate at that time. They didn't have chairs around a table. They sat on the floor. Now, from the Net Bible, we learn this about the alabaster jar. The jar was made of alabaster stone, and it was normally used for very precious substances like perfumes. It normally had a long neck that was sealed and had to be broken off so the contents could be used. So it was broken. The perfumed oil, the the nard or the spike nard, was a fragrant oil from the root and the spike of the nard plant all the way from northern India. This perfumed oil if made of something like nard, would have been extremely expensive, costing up to a year's wages for an average laborer. So this woman comes to the house. She's a sinner. In that world, in that time, when a woman was called a sinner, it either meant she was considered a prostitute or she was a woman who had been with multiple men. In that time, a woman couldn't just divorce Women didn't have near the rights of men, and they were treated as property, sometimes just as chattel. And sometimes when men got tired of a woman, and they didn't think that, you know, that woman satisfied him anymore, or was beautiful to him anymore, they could discard a woman, and that woman would be on her own. She didn't have the ability to go out and get a job, or go out and get an education. She was cast aside. And sometimes women then, the only way they could survive was to give themselves either to prostitution, or to marry multiple men, or just to be there for other men's use, and then out of that get food and and care. That's how women were treated. And so the funny thing, not funny, it's not funny at all, it's tragic. The sad thing is that men could sin and divorce at will and take women at will, and there were no repercussions to a man. But for a woman, a woman was out there trying to figure out how to survive, and she had to do what she had to do. But they got labeled the sinner. They got marginalized. They got cast off. And that's what's happening in this text. So we got the Pharisee, this religious guy, he's sitting in his house, Jesus is there, and this 
Woman is there. She comes in out of the blue. She's not an invited guest. She's not welcome. And she starts to do this to Jesus. Now, one more thing that I think is really important is when you entered someone's home, one of the first things that would happen, and especially for this Pharisee, because he would have had wealth, is you would have house servants come, and they would do as Jesus did later. They would wrap their waists, they would bow down, they would get some water, and they would wash the feet of the guests. And then they would often anoint the heads or the faces of the guests because the anointing oil would both clean the dirt and the dust of their culture off of their faces as, as they did with their feet, and anointing them was a way of refreshing them. So they would anoint their head, and then they would greet them with a holy kiss, you know, kind of like if you've been to Latin countries, you know, how, how you get kind of kissed on the cheek on each side. They would greet them with a kiss, they would anoint their heads, they'd wash their feet, and this was normal protocol. If you had a guest come to your home, this is what you would do. So here comes Jesus, this rabbi, the son of God, of course he's not being acknowledged as that, and he walks into the door and none of those things happen. And then a woman who's a sinner comes in off the streets and she begins to do everything Simon had neglected. And in that, Jesus teaches us a whole lot about grace, love, mercy, about what the gospel's really about, but he also shows us the reality of how a person can be made to feel like they belong. And so here's some keys I want you to notice in helping people belong through God's love. The first one is recognize people. Recognize people. I know that seems simple, but in verse 44, Simon didn't recognize the importance of the guests with him that day. Both Jesus and the woman did. Simon, the religious leader, no perception, dull, blind, unable to connect with the moment. Jesus and the woman they both recognize this is holy. This is a holy moment. Something is going on. Simon didn't even offer Jesus, as I said before, the customary water. The woman, however, washed his feet and wiped them with her tears and hair. I've told you these stories before, but I've been in services overseas. I remember one time we went to the Philippines and we ended a leadership conference with a foot washing. And we got to wash these Filipino pastors' feet. And I remember some of these guys had come from the mountains and it had taken like two and a half days to get there. They'd walk down for a while and then they got, you know, like a, a bus and then they walked further and, they, you know, some of them went through the jungle. And I'm not just telling story for dramatic effect. That was really what they did. And they paid everything. And then they'd sleep on the hard ground on these little rice mats and eat a little bit of rice every day. And they felt like they were experiencing heaven on earth. And the Americans came and, and taught them about the Bible and how to be good pastors and preach. And, of course, every time we go, we come back going, I don't know if I gave them much, but they sure taught me a whole lot. And I remember I was bowing, kneeling down, and I was washing this pastor's feet. And for them, this was extremely hard because Americans are special, right? They saw us as American pastors are special, kind of above them, not at all. So we're kneeling down, and some of them are crying, and they're getting really emotional about this. They don't know how to handle us washing their feet. And I remember I washed this one pastor's feet. I took his shoes off, and I think the only pair of shoes he had, they were worn out on the bottom, and I took his shoes off his feet, and I started washing his feet, and it's really messing me up too. And these are some knobby feet. These feet have been through some stuff. I'm telling you, these were scary feet. And I felt so honored to handle his scary feet. His scary feet. I really did. It was beautiful. 
Yet this woman goes beyond that. She doesn't use water from a basin. She uses the tears from her tear ducts. And she doesn't use a towel. She uses her hair. Wow. Now, the Bible actually says, believe it or not, Jesus being the Son of God, it says He was humble. Very humble. Can you imagine how humbled He felt? Wow. Beautiful. And at that moment, this woman is saying to Jesus, I believe in you, you're valuable, you're worthy of recognition. And Jesus turns and calls out what she's done, and he's saying to Simon and everybody within hearing him, you, woman, are valuable, and you are worthy of redemption. I recognize you. She recognized him, he recognized her, and at that moment, all the dirtiness of her own past, as she washed his feet, she was cleansed. It's beautiful. And practically, what does that mean for us as a church? To recognize people means being intentional, to reach out and greet people. I'm going to put it in the context of when we gather. Recognition means moving out of your normal comfort zone and pressing into people's lives. To recognize people means being willing to give up your seat. Whoa. There's some of you, you sit in the same seat every week. Can I meddle a little bit? You'll still love me, right? If you don't, we got to talk. You know, some of you, you sit in the same seat. I do. I sit in the same seat every week. And every once in a while, somebody will show up who doesn't know how it works around here. <laughs> and they'll sit up here near me. I remember when Matt first started coming, Matt started sitting right over next to me. And I like to take up about four or five seats and have my bag on there. He started calling me on it. He said six seats. He's given toward exaggeration a little bit. And he started calling me and he started saying, hey, man, you got to take up so many seats. I'm like, who do you think you are? Those are my seats. I paid for those. Some of you, you remember back in the day when we got these chairs, we, we gave you the opportunity to purchase a chair. Some of you purchased several. And then what happens? You start actually thinking you own them. And you don't. There are no plaques on the back of these chairs. I want you to notice that. They don't belong to us. And some of us, we, we need to get thrown off. We need to get stirred up. We need to have somebody come along and shake us out of our normal routines. Amen? Are you out there? So that's what it means. It means uh, helping them find a bathroom. Not being inconvenienced when they got a child. You know, someone that's new comes and they don't know about our our, our mother's nursing room. They don't know about what's going on around here. They walk in the door and they got a child that's being loud and, you know, and they're, they're and they're doing everything while the sermon's going on. Let me, let me tell you, sometimes it annoys me too. Let's be honest. But I, I know some people just be like, man, those people need to deal with their kids. Maybe we should just offer to help them out. Turn to them and say, hey, can I help you in any way? Or did you know we have a room back here? You can go nurse your child or sit in there and there's a speaker in there. Hopefully the ushers turn it on and, you know, be in being like that, right? Serving people. It might mean, oh, I like this one. It might mean um, when people come in the door and it's a new church experience and they do, they're doing everything to make, a, we do everything to make them feel welcome and at home. That includes helping the ushers out by making room in your row for others. 
I know this is really practical, but people get really funny. Sometimes we need to make room, right? And you just chose those two outside seats or that outside seat because you like to sit on the outside, and you don't want nobody messing with your spot. But in order to get a family of four in, we got to have some people move around, and you have to be willing to give that stuff up. But isn't it funny? We really dig our heels in, and we become possessive about stuff we shouldn't be possessive about. We're here to serve other people. Am I speaking to anybody? Any toes getting stepped on. To recognize people means giving people special acknowledgement when they're new and going out of our way to make them know that we're honored that they're with us. I remember I met a new couple here one Sunday and I watched them come in and sit down and I didn't see anybody greet them and I went, I beelined to them to go greet them and I was sitting talking to them and I could just tell they were just kind of like deer in the headlights look. And I said, I said that to him. I said, you got... You got that kind of new person, deer in the headlight, headlights look a little different for you? Is this new new church experience? Yeah, I haven't been to church in years, and this isn't the way we used to do it, <laughs> right? So what, what can I do at that point? What's your problem? Get over yourself. Worship God. No, right? Take some time to make them feel welcome, you know? Tell them, we got free coffee for you in the coffee shop, and we're so glad you're here. Can I answer any questions for you? The bathrooms are down our hallway. It's, it's a maze. We have a maze. We have a bathroom maze here. It's really cool. If you come out the other end, you will end up in the bathroom. Praise the Lord. <laughs> right? <laughs> Secondly, what do we mean when we talk about helping people belong? It means to honor people. Simon didn't offer Jesus the customary kiss of greeting. And that was a show of respect and honor. This woman kissed his dirty feet. She let down her hair. Did you know a Jewish woman never let her hair down in public? That was against the rules. It was against custom. But there she found herself in the position of a common slave attending to the feet of the master. She showed her appreciation and regard for this privilege by incessantly kissing his feet. Think about that. To honor people means looking people in the eye and listening carefully. I love this quote by Richard Foster, if we can put it up there. One of the greatest expressions of love is simply to notice people and to pay attention to them. Amen? Notice them, pay attention, just listen. To honor people means smiling and being willing to serve and be sensitive to someone else's needs. To honor people means being sensitive to people's space and not invading it rudely. Honor is friendly, but not invasive. Now, I have to balance this because there are introverts in this room, a bunch of you. There are people in this room, I know that every week when we do the meet and greet time, it's like, you feel like you're in a horror movie, don't you? Right? Like, oh no, here it comes. He's about to say it. Doug's about to say it. Why don't you stand up at this time, turn around and greet a couple of people, and you're like, oh no, awkward. You turn around. And you're just like, how long is this going to last? <laughs> and then there's other people all around you. They're just, ah, ah great, yeah, well, pow. And you got that one person that talks enough for both of you, right? And they love to hear themselves speak. They're a legend in their own mind. And they're just, rah, 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 rah. right? And we have those dynamics in a church. Am I speaking to anybody's heart? So we have to be sensitive to people's space. And you know, that takes some development over time. You got to kind of learn to read people. And, and if, if, if you can tell people are a little awkward, listen, if you're out there, don't go coming in for a hug if you don't know that person. 
All right? Can I just tell you that? Right? Just don't be coming in for a hug. David Miner used to say, beware of the full court press. <laughs> right? Just be careful. Men, be, be sensitive with women. Women with men, right? Let's, let's treat each other with honor and respect. I'm not saying we have to be weird, but don't be weird. <laughs> Takes me to the next point, to sacrifice for people and for Jesus. And this is my last point, and this is where I come in for a landing, so to speak. The third thing is we sacrifice for people and for Jesus. This woman valued Jesus enough to pour out very expensive fragrant oil upon his feet. Simon didn't even spend the time or money to anoint his head with the common olive oil used to anoint heads and to keep the hair smooth and sleek. People are valuable and worth the sacrifice of time, energy, patience, resources, and forgiveness. To sacrifice for people and for Jesus means taking time to take someone out or to invite them over after service, though you'd rather not take the time or energy to do so. Take the time to get to know people and develop relationship. You know, I, I feel like that's something we forgot to do. You know, we had somebody do something the other night from our church, and, um, and I have to admit, at first it was a little bit hard to dance around. So we're hanging out at our house, was it Friday night or Thursday night? Friday night, we're hanging out at our house, I don't know, maybe 7, 30, 8 o'clock, and ding dong, somebody rang the doorbell. Like, nobody comes to our house this time of night. We open the door, and it's a couple from our church, and they're just like, we just came by to visit. Now, you can imagine, initially, I was like, oh, I had a, I, oh, it was Thursday night, Thursday night football was on. Like, what the heck? Initially, I joked and said, yeah, you're going to come over to my house on Thursday night football. Come on in and you can join me in the football game. But then I shut up and I paused it. And we went and we sat and talked with them for maybe half hour, 45 minutes. And it was a great connection. And we loved that they did it. And he said this to me as he was going out the door. He said, you know, people used to do this more often and we just feel like we need to connect with people. So this is just what we did. Now, now listen, I'm not suggesting you just start showing up at people's houses. Um, I think a phone call is always a good, you know, kind of pave the way. It's kind of a good John the Baptist move, prepare the way, right? But we really enjoyed our time with them, and they had the ability to, you know, to spend time with us, and then they were like, okay, we're going to go now. Good seeing you. We love you guys. Boom, they, they headed out, and we were like, that was nice. We really enjoyed that. And... You know, it's something that we, we lack culturally. We've become so addicted to screens that most of our FaceTime is Facebook, right? We don't know how to sit down and just talk to people anymore. My wife and I have tried to practice something. Um, we're both getting better and better at it, but whenever we go out and have a meal, our phones are not on the table with us. They're either away. I, I've been learning to leave my phone behind more and more in my vehicle when I go places to meet with people. Because I realize something, that screen is destroying relationships. It's not helping relationships, it's, it's destroying relationships. Right? Sometimes we have to sacrifice the things that we normally like in order for relationships to happen. 
It means meeting a need that could be costly to your time, resources, and desires. And I, I like this quote by John Chrysostom. Chrysostom was one of the greatest preachers in the Eastern Orthodox Church and early Christianity. And this is what he said, the bee is more honored than other animals, not because she labors, but because she labors for others. Right? And that's our call, to sacrifice and labor for the sake of the other. And that takes me to the very end. And that is to sacrifice for people and for Jesus means giving your best because it matters to God and to people. Sacrifice for others may be the key that opens their heart to God and His love and the good news. Sacrifice is what Jesus did for us on the cross when He died in our place for our sins. Sacrifice is what happens and what opens our hearts to the good news. Jesus died and rose again to reconcile us to God. And it started with a sacrifice. You know, I... I have to say, when I saw the gospel in its reality, when I understood what Jesus had done, and I understood that the motivation behind it was love, it wrecked me. Anybody else? When I really saw it, when my eyes were opened and I understood this wasn't just a good man you know, engaging in martyrdom because the government was mad at him or the religious leaders were mad at him. This was a man who chose this path for you and I, and he did it out of love. There's something so powerful when somebody demonstrates sacrificial love on your behalf, what it does to you. There's people out there everywhere, and here's the truth. They're out there all over in our community, in our world, and they don't know Jesus Christ, or maybe they've had an encounter, but their church background, their experience with Christians was that Christians were mean or ugly or hypocritical or gossipy or that the church they went to was full of that kind of stuff, and they haven't seen love for their sake. Now, they might have their own issues. People always do. But the reality is, is that when love is demonstrated sacrificially for the sake of another, the human heart opens up. It's like a key and a lock, and the human heart opens up. And I, I, I believe, you know, what John Maxwell said years ago, people don't care how much they know, how much you know, excuse me, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. There is something about demonstrating the love of God and demonstrating the gospel that opens people up to hear its message. And when we say to people, please come in, we want you in our life, we want you to be a part of our life, we care about you, what can we do to benefit your life? What can we do to honor you? What can we do to recognize you? What can we do to sacrifice on your behalf? When that happens, the gospel hits the mark of the heart. Lives are changed. Amen? So that's all I have to say. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand with me?